0: So, we 're talking about serving of all this morning, and normally I have uh, three. three pages will mean thirty minutes i 've got nine pages this morning i 'm trying to preach for a lot less uh, <laughs> so pray for me and we we 'll go all right but let 's just dive into it and we 're going to move quite fast and we 're just going to teach it this morning to give us an idea of what service is so it 's going to be a little more teachy this morning, and we 're going to have some great fun with those who are going to share afterwards so um, servant of all, let me make a statement and I'm going to try and explain the statement. Servant of all uh, is reserved for only the greatest in God's kingdom. And you are invited to be a servant of all. Do you know that? Do you know that servants or servant of all is this like great uh, kind of statement over someone? It's an, an, an exalted statement. In our world, to be a servant of all is to be the lowest of the low. If you are every one servant, then you are at the bottom of the ladder. In heaven, to be the servant of all is to be the most like Jesus. That's a very different culture. So, let's figure out what service is like uh, to God. So, what is service? Paul says, as we have opportunity in Galatians, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, service is anything, according to Paul, anything that is lovingly done for the good of others, but especially those who are in the church. So service can be done whenever, wherever, it's whatever, by whoever, possible. So how do we become a servant of all? How do we become like Jesus? And so the three things we want to go through today is how does this journey begin? It is a bit of a journey. How does the journey continue? And then how does the journey end? How does the journey begin? In verse 4 of what Mary read, Paul writes, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. At this point, we've kind of dumped, uh, dived straight into what Paul's already saying. Bear in mind, the Philippians are struggling Christians. They're persecuted. They're under uh, pressure. Um, they are not having the good life. They aren't enjoying half the things. No, they aren't enjoying a, a fraction of the things we enjoy every single day. The Corinthians have a tough And still, Paul calls them to step up to service, right? This is not like, in an ideal situation, learn to consider others uh, more highly than yourself. This is, you know, the rough of rough. People are dying around here, and Paul goes, hey. He doesn't say this because they're lovely people, but if they're, hey, get your head out the ground. Look around you. Look for opportunities to share the love of Christ, Um This is what's happening for them. So as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially... Sorry, I've I've jumped back. So let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, This is what uh, Paul says to the Galatians. God has called you to freedom. You must make sure, just make sure that you don't use your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want. Rather, through love, serve one another. That is totally counter our culture. We have freedom... Do what's right for you. Do what you feels good. Do do what you want to do. Different degrees, and and even in churches, kind of you know Jesus is there to help equip you to live your ultimate life, uh, to be kind of self actualized. Paul goes, no, Jesus has given you freedom. Don't use your freedom like you might hear you're supposed to use it in the world. Let me tell you how to use your freedom. God wants you to use your freedom to lovingly care for other people. Use your freedom. To lovingly serve one another. So, to Paul, what Paul's kind of summary of what Paul's saying is lovingly serving others is the fullest expression of freedom as you follow Jesus. Do you want to express your freedom? Your ultimate freedom. Jesus has freed you from sin and death. You want to express freedom? Love others. It's the ultimate expression of freedom. How does this journey begin? So, the journey begins by receiving. I jumped into verse 4. Let me go back to verse 1, 2, and 3. Paul says this is kind of his foundation. So Paul's building this idea of service, and he builds a foundation that they can stand upon. He says, if you have encouragement from Jesus, you can't live the Christian life until you've settled that you're in Christ. You're not ready to live for Christ until you settle that you're in Christ. Christ has saved you. He's done it all. You've received it. Salvation is given to you. He's the author of salvation. He's the one who entered your world. He's the one who died in your place. He's the one who has mercifully called you to himself. He's the one who's given you faith, who's given you the spirit, and who's promised to bring your salvation to completion. Uh, You've got to settle that you're in Christ, that you've received Christ. That is very encouraging news. That's what Paul's saying. If you've had any encouragement, if you've got any assurance, if you know that you're a Christian, if you're comforted by love, God's love has changed their circumstances. We're talking about people who who are being oppressed, who are under pressure, who may be dying. Paul says... Your comfort is God's love. Not your comfort is your circumstances. Your circumstances suck, but your comfort is God's love in your circumstances. God's love helps you to lift your head over the horizon of life and to be able to say, doesn't matter, this can't touch me. Worst it can do is send me to Jesus earlier. Do you have any comfort from the love of God? Do you have any fellowship in the Spirit? This is talking about the saints being bonded together by the Holy Spirit, not because we are the same color. If I had to go find a church that looked like me and spoke like me, I don't know where in the world I'd go. Some think Ireland, but I don't think they speak like me. If you go to Mexico, I look like people, but they talk to me in a language I don't understand. I don't know where my people are. But by the Spirit, you're my people and I'm your people. Black, white, young, old, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, English, every other language. By the Spirit, we are bonded in fellowship. We laugh together. We tease each other. We dance together. We have fun together. We cry together. We're bonded by the Holy Spirit. Do you have fellowship through the Holy Spirit? Are you bonded to the saints or are you just kind of a floater? Floaters aren't cool. I'm, I'm purposefully using that word because it's a horrible word. No one wants to be a floater. It's, there's, there's no finger pointed at you. What I'm saying is you're missing out on, on the foundation of the, being bonded in the fellowship of the saints. Hey, look, yes, we annoy each other. We're not like a puzzle that perfectly fits. But by the Spirit, He makes up for the gaps. But we do step on each other's toes while we're dancing together. We do, by accident, offend each other while we're laughing with each other. Sometimes, accidentally, we laugh at each other and then we have to say Sorry. And we say, I forgive you. And then we cry together and then we go back to laughing together. And yes, there's a bit of a cycle, but we're we're bonded by the the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says, You have compassion and mercy. You've been transformed. You're starting to feel about life like Jesus feels. You're starting to look at people and have compassion for them and mercy for them. Has Jesus changed you? Have you been surprised? Did you used to not like a certain group of people? And as you walk with Jesus, you find that they don't annoy you or frustrate you or irritate you anymore. You don't think that you're superior to them or inferior to them. You look at them and you actually have compassion for them. I feel sorry for them. I want to draw them to Jesus. What's happened? The love of God has transformed your heart. You're becoming more like Jesus. And Paul says that's your foundation. If If that's you, I'm talking to you. And he thinks he's talking to all the Philippians, not the mature ones, not the ones who've been saved for a super long time, not the ones who've had an unusual experience. He thinks he's talking to the Philippians. In other words, he's making a theological statement. You should have encouragement from Jesus. You do. You're His. You belong to Him. You should also have some comfort of God's love. He loves you. He's crazy about you. You should know that. Don't believe anything else. You should be enjoying the fellowship of the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit. And you should see that you're changing. There's compassion. The word around compassion in the Bible is more like guts. Your guts have changed. In other words, there's feeling. I'm moved. When I see someone struggling, I love... uh, I'm not going to say their name now because they haven't given me permission to the story. But there's someone who's kind of rearranging their work life and if you said to them, why are you rearranging your work life? They would say, I have so much compassion for people, but I don't have enough time in the week with people to care for them. So I'm going to change my work life so I have more free time to spend time with people because I've got to, get to do something with all this compassion. Do you think Jesus is having an effect on that person's life? I think so. Look, that's not saying you have to get out of work. That's not like a get out of work card. Um, (Laughter) Maybe compassion is exactly where, work is exactly where you get to express compassion. Maybe you work extra long hours because that's where Jesus has you. So please don't hear that as an uh, out of work card. So you serve because you're free from sin, not to avoid feeling guilty. You serve because you are full of Christ's love, not to avoid shame. You serve because you are a son or daughter, not to be a son or daughter. You serve because it's your uh, exclusive Christian privilege, not because it's a duty. You serve as an overflow of what Christ has done in your life, not to get Him to do something in your life. The very simplest way to say all of this is that service begins after we have received God's great love. Service begins with love. Do you know the love of God? The danger of trying to serve and not know the love of God that you might begin to think that you're earning something. Service is an overflow. It's not work. How does the journey continue, if that's how it begins? Uh, the, the verses Mary read said, He... Talking Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He who is in the form of God, death on the cross. Can you see those are very two poles apart? (laughs) You can't get further further distance. Paul is a genius in uh, writing his theology. God... Died. Something tremendous happened in between that. And Paul writes out what happened. That he humbled himself. He emptied himself of what he was and who he was and became a sacrificial offering for us. uh, uh, Jesus says it himself and Luke records, records it. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus talking about himself. I've not come to serve, to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom of many. Jesus' identity and purpose was to be a servant. And Paul says to us in, in Philippians, we are to have the same mind as Christ. So as we walk with Jesus and receive from Jesus and become like Jesus, we begin to think like Jesus and we begin to act like Jesus, which means we'll increasingly begin to serve like Jesus. Not because we can achieve what Jesus did, but because we're becoming like Jesus and we start to love what Jesus loves and do what Jesus does. And that includes serving other people. So the characteristic that gets us there or grows us there if we're starting on love is humility. That Jesus humbled himself. There's a humility that happens in all of our lives as we walk with Jesus. Humility is a characteristic of being emptied of our selfish self and being filled with who God is making us to be. So it's the, the, I want to say annihilation, but it happens a lot slower than that, of our selfish selves, of our wills, of our wants, of our desires, of our ambitions. And it's this freedom to let God use our lives to change us, to use us, to lift us up for the use of others, to do others good. Um, so, God calls us to be humble, not all we can be. Do you know what that means? Just think about that for a moment. It means that God is going to leave untapped potential in you. Think about that. God is going to give you gifts, opportunities, time, abilities, uh, ambitions, desires, or maybe you have your own, that He's just going to not use. He's not hes not trying to get you to be all you can be. He's not trying to get you to 80 and fully spent. I'm, in, I'm ready to go now. Why? Because I've got nothing left to give or achieve. In other words, you're not God's robot. You, you're not, he's not trying to be efficient with you. He's not trying to squeeze you like toothpaste. You're His person. We all know the stat that we use like 10% of our brain power, right? Doesn't that seem like such a waste of brain? <laughs> Wouldn't you love to know how to tap into the rest of it? Some of you use a lot more than 10%, but I'm fairly sure I'm in the 10% category. I think that's just a kind of a glimpse of, of God's kindness to us. He's not trying to make us machines. So we have all this potential, not to kind of use it for everything we can, but to lay it before the Lord and say, Lord, there is so much you could use my life for, how would you like to use it? I've got potential to do 10 things, but I have the limited ability to do one or two. Which ones would you like me to do, Father? Who would you like me to serve? How would you like me to serve? And leave a whole bunch of potential on the shelf, which seems a bit scary, I think. So, God hasn't called us to be successful, or winners, or adventurers, or influencers. He's simply called us to humble ourselves before the Lord, and to let Him use our lives. So, a servant of all uh, is empty of self. When self dominates our lives, we become aware, no, sorry, while self dominates our lives, we remain aware of our needs. We all have needs, so let me, we all have real needs, but self makes us centralize our focus on those needs. And when that happens, we, we begin to kind of over-exaggerate our neediness, and then we begin to notice those who aren't taking helping take care of our needs as well. And there's kind of a spiral of, you know, well, not only now do I have needs, but I also feel like, Others aren't caring for my needs. And self kind of does that. Self makes us look at ourselves and then makes us look at others and see that they aren't looking at ourselves and caring for us. In other words, self can never get enough of itself. And no one can ever satisfy yourself. It's a really dangerous trap for any of us to fall into. And we can fall into it for a second. We can fall into it for years. But the person that it really destroys is ourself. It's It's broken. What humility enables us to do is not say, I have no needs. I'm just going to pretend. Humility helps me to have needs, but to look outward, outside my needs. In other words, humility causes compassion, causes mercy. It helps me to look, what can I do? How can I love? How can I be involved? And then what happens is other people do, every now and then, take care of our needs. Someone sends a text or something and says, hey, I'm around, can I bring you a meal? Hey, can I, um, I don't know, go shopping for you? Or hey, can I um, go for a walk with you? I've just been thinking about you. Or is there something I can pray for? Just some need, someone reaches out to you and meets you there. And what is it? It's not, well, that's not enough, or well, that's about time, or well, you know, like you've known for so long, where have you been? What happens when you stand in a position of humility with your needs focusing outwards is that when anyone else tries to come alongside and care for you, you're just flabbergasted. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, hold on. Yes, thank you. That would be amazing. Um, you know, you, because, the, the, because you haven't been focused on self, you're amazed when anyone else is aware of yourself. Do, do you see how that, that happens? Needs remain the same. Your needs are no less or no greater. But your focus is either on self or humbly focused on others. And where you focus affects how you relate to other people. Are you drawing closer to other people or are you drifting from other people? It can help maybe uh, where your focus is. So Jesus is the most willing and humble human that has ever existed. He exhibits endless acts of service, and to be clear, Jesus' service doesn't end at the cross. Jesus continues to serve even to this day. Jesus remains the servant king. Jesus, in all of his glory, remains the servant of all. Jesus hasn't stopped being the servant. Jesus, Jesus, in the form of God, Jesus divine, knew all these glories. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll get to that in a moment. In all these things, we learn to think how Jesus does. And as we think like Jesus does, we learn to become a servant. So how does the journey continue? The answer is humility. And the question, I guess, is, are you self or others orientated? Please don't answer this for someone else. Please don't even sit in your chair right now and go, oh, this is so-and-so. Or please don't nudge someone and go, "Mm mm-hmm, we know who he's talking about. This is really just... For you. You know why? Because tomorrow it may be me. Tomorrow I may w- wake up self-orientated. There's no point pointing a finger to someone else. Just figure it out for yourself. How does this journey end? So in this world, I already said, you know, the lesser serves the greater. And so our schooling system, our education system, our promotion system at work, always has people in power or wealth or influence being served by the lesser. You know, have you ever seen Kim K carrying the bags of her makeup artist? You know, what are you doing, Kim K? Oh, I'm serving my makeup artist. That would make no sense. Why are you doing that? Right? Or you go to a concert, you don't see Justin Bieber setting up uh, the mics or, you know, Why? Because in our world, in our society, whoever we deem to be the greatest is served by whoever we deem to be less great than them. Not so in God's family. Verse 9 says, God has exalted Jesus and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. Why has God exalted Jesus? Because He became the servant of all. Verse 9 says, God has exalted Jesus. Why has God exalted Jesus? Because the other verses said that He humbled Himself becoming nothing and gave His life to death for all. That's why God has exalted Him, because He's a servant of all. That's totally different to our world and our society and our culture. I love stories in churches, and there's so many of them, where you have CEOs of large companies... You know, they've flown into some part of Asia to kind of set up shop and they're they're this like top executive and where do you find them? You find them teaching kids ministry. Why? They have this education from Princeton and and they're like mega wealthy because they're super successful. People are like falling at their feet. They could be (laughs) conference speakers uh, and, and earn much more than any one of us in this room. Why are they teaching children? What a dumb question. Who who should be teaching the children? Is there like some minus qualification you have to have? Oh shoot, you're one of those. You ended up with the kids. You had no life. What? Or a church. Where the homeless person is on the welcome team. I I don't think I'd put them there. Why wouldn't you put them there? Is it their situation in life? Is it their lack of success? Why wouldn't they be on the front? Are they less of a person? Are they loved less by Jesus? Well, you know, that's just like the face of our church. Yeah, exactly. What a lovely face. Is there a better one? Jesus' kingdom is just so different to this world. And when we get it, we're not shocked when we see successful people serving, as Jeb said, in invisible ways. Or people of low esteem in this world having high status in His kingdom. That's normal. God has highly exalted the servant of all. And Jesus says, uh, I'm, I'm just going to keep moving. So Jesus has invited us to move, in, move uh, join in. He invites us to have godly ambition. He says, whoever wants to be the leader must be your servant. And whoever would be first amongst you must be your slave. Another time, Jesus says to His disciples, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Uh, with Jesus, the way to be exalted, exalted means to be raised up, to be lifted up, and, and, and we should want to be exalted. Exalted is a good thing. You should not want to be uh, put, pressed down. That doesn't go with freedom. We want to be exalted, we want to be lifted up, but we want to be, that, that. how does it happen in a righteous way? How does God do it? You want to be exalted? Well, there's a race to the bottom. Get on the ladder and climb down as quickly as you can. <laughs> how does the journey end? This is how it ends in heaven. God exalts, God exalts the servant. You want to ex- be exalted, you want God to exalt you? and join the race to the bottom. Serve whenever, wherever, whoever you can. Okay, so service takes two things and one promise. The two things it takes is love and humility. Love and humility. And the promise is exaltation. It's interesting that heaven, you know, just to be very, very, very clear exaltation in heaven or promotion in heaven isn't away from service. When you are exalted in heaven, if, if that's you know, to the degree that God blesses us, raises us, gives us, a, you know, gives us esteem or exalts us, it will be attached to service. In other words, the, the greater you are in God's kingdom, the greater you get to serve. The more you get to serve. Try that out at your, in your home while you raise the kids. I'm going to let my favorite one do more for me. <laughs> oh, shoot. I don't think I want to be that kid. Um, is there a way to still be loved, but, but just enough to not have to do anything? Listen to this text. Now, this text, John sees this throne of people in white robes, and he doesn't know who they are. Sorry, not a throne, a throng standing before the throne, a crowd of people in white robes. He doesn't know who they are, but they're clearly magnificent human beings. Wow, check these ones out. Who are they? And one of the elders who are before the throne of God come to him. This is in Revelation 7. One of the elders comes to him and says, do you know who they are? And he goes, no, I don't know who they are. Who are they? And he says, they are those who remain faithful while persecuted. This is, what, this, is what, this is how God has blessed them. Therefore, therefore, because, because they remained faithful in persecution, because they stood for God while under massive pressure. I mean, think Philippians. Think, think anyone you want. They are before the throne of God. Oh, isn't that where we want to be? Right at the throne of God? They are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night. The greatest promotion of the saints is to serve the Lord day and night in His temple and He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence the reward for their faithfulness is eternal service in the presence of God that's a little different what a blessing Uh, repentance Require uh, sorry, <laughs> service requires a change of culture. I just wanted to name three ways, and then I'm going to hand over to Jib, and we're going to listen to these these great servants. But we realized about two years ago, this is just a land. We realized about two years ago that um, there were unhealthy cultures of communication coming from the from the leaders down that looked fairly cultural, but not a lot like kingdom. And so, I just want to name three ways, and really what I'm saying is, can you forgive us in how we've led around service, and then let's get on with changing the culture in terms of our language. So, I'll read them out to you, and hopefully you can forgive us. There's probably many ways, but these are quite broad, so they kind of account for a lot. Um, Number one, an expectation that all members will serve in one ministry once a month. If you've done the Unite, you've heard this over and over and over. When you become a member, you serve in some way once a month on some team. Can you imagine standing before the throne of God who has promoted people to serve Him day and night and He says to the elders of King's Cross, so how did you care for my people? How did you disciple them? How did you um, encourage them to serve? And I went, well, we understood, we understood life is busy and um, we understood that you know, m- not much should be demanded. And so we, we, um, we got, but, but you know, we did better than a lot of other churches. And we got most people to serve once a month. Do <laughs> you think Jib's going to say that with a lot of confidence? Do <laughs> you think Josh or I? I mean, the point is, what a ridiculous thing to say to the King of Kings. It's not a bad bottom, it's not a bad starting point. Hey, let's try to start there. You know, let's learn service as we walk with you. Why, why don't you try to start? With joining a team, and you'll probably be on once a month, start there. but What a terrible expectation of what service is. An okay starting point, a terrible cultural norm. Because some people get it in, in some way, and they have an ability and a capacity, and they just want to say, why are you holding me back? Why, you know, I don't want to name names, because I don't want to, I don't want to elevate anyone. And in doing that, leave anyone behind, because that's the last thing I would like to do today. But, but we all know those, and we'd just love to serve anywhere, every time, all the time, doing anything. There's different capacities, there's different abilities, there's different callings, different giftings. But to the degree that people are, they get service and they want to be in- involved, they should be able to be. And so please forgive us, I will just say one thing, I think the, because I think he gets it right in the language. Joel wrote a, we were introduced to Joel in, a, in a, what, the newsletter a couple weeks back, and then this is what he said about service. So I'm not trying to exalt Joel, I'm just, I'll leave that up to God, I'm just trying to, I think he got the language right. He says, I love serving, and I've been doing media for so long, it's become like breathing. I feel privileged to be involved. That language doesn't come from this world. Number two, treating brothers and sisters like volunteers. Sometimes this is done in a lovely way. You have volunteers in sports clubs, in community groups, in uh, you know, all sorts of gatherings. You can volunteer for Red Cross. You can volunteer for Salvation Army when there's crisis, Caleb and I went and volunteered, there were bushfires, I still feel good about it, that's part of the good thing about volunteering, you go to do very little and then you come home feeling like a hero and you can just keep telling the story about it forever and ever and ever, you know, and then when it wanes you just go volunteer again, so there is a space to volunteer, that is, that is a volunteer thing, the church is never volunteers, we're, we're children of God, we're brothers and sisters I would never go to my, my children at home after they've, I don't know, tidied their room and go, thank you so much, I appreciate your efforts, uh, you're like such a good volunteer, I know you've got stuff to do and I like to live, but thank you for volunteering in this home, we really appreciate you. It would just diminish our family. I would still appreciate them, I would still see what they've done and thank them for it, but my daughter, my son, thank you. Now spring's dinner. Thank you for volunteering your service to this community. <laughs> Do you think she's going to want to hold my hand? and Thank you for volunteering your service to this community. <laughs> what? Nass, thank you for this amazing meal you've cooked for our family. Thank you for nurturing us and caring for us and spending time thinking about th- this meal and putting your love into it. Thank you so much. You see the difference in language? And I I think we've genuinely had a good culture of appreciating volunteers. I don't think we don't appreciate people. I think we we really, because I know we feel very appreciative of everything people do for each other and, and ourselves. But thinking and talking as if people are volunteering makes us more a community group than a family group. And we are the family of God. We're brothers and sisters. So forgive us for that. We're a family of God. Thank you for loving the family. Thank you for loving your brothers and sisters. We feel it. We see it. We're encouraged by these people who, you know, after this, someone's going to pack up bread and those tiny little cups and the tables are going to vanish somehow miraculously and we mess this room up and next week we'll come back and be beautiful again and this will be recorded and slides have gone up and children are hearing about Jesus. I heard a child who moved from King's Cross and this is not a state, I, I know, whatever, just here. And they went to another, visited another church with their parents, and the parents said to them, the child, I don't know ages, but the child's about this tall. I don't know if they're short or tall, but they're about this big, so they're like way primary school age. And how was church? Their comment was, uh, I don't like it. They didn't tell us anything about Jesus. Well, what did you do? The child said in his in complaining face, oh, we just played this game, and we played that game, and then we ran around doing this thing, like really fun stuff you'd want to do. Well, why did not you enjoy that? Because I thought we were going to hear about Jesus. I've heard little Nolan call our uh, kids' ministry workers out as well. We were kind of 15 minutes into the lesson, and Nolan pulled them up on it and went, are we going to learn anything about Jesus today? (laughs) (laughs) We are so grateful for our brothers and sisters who who are teaching our children about our wonderful Savior. Thank you. Number three, not encouraging each other to serve, but letting the fear of burnout dominate language. I want to be sensitive with this one and I'm not suggesting for a second that, that no one ever gets burnt out. I, I recognize people have experienced great weariness in various forms and that life has different seasons. No one's the same. But in some ways you can accidentally throw out the baby with the bathwater. I think the baby is service. That's what we should care, nurture. The bathwater is Culture. And often in churches, can be legalism. Chuck out the bathwater. Chuck out the legalism. Chuck out the cultures that oppress people or or tell them, like, this is your duty. Or, you know, um, if you don't do this, you're kind of, I thought you were a mature Christian or something. Like, this is what Christians do. Like, chuck that out. But don't chuck the baby out. How how do we care for the baby? How how do we put the baby back into a, a healthier bathtub with better water? How do we change the culture? But I think accidentally we can get into that language around burnout. And nowadays, because mental health is wonderfully being spoken about so much more often, it's, it's something that people can share more easily. Um, we are so nervous. As soon as we get around burnout or language like that, we're so nervous to encourage each other to trust God for anything that's not comfortable. And I, I guess I'm, I'm just urging us to go, let's be more courageous In stirring faith in God, not let's be more legalistic and moralistic and have high expectations on each other. No, let's just encourage each other to have faith, stir faith towards God, because God can do far more. He can do measurably what we ask or even imagine. And we need to remind each other, I see where you're at. I hear you. Let's see what God has for you. Asha, I love those noises. Keep going. (laughs) You're going to get it right. He's working on his trumpet. He's going to get there. Now it just sounds like mouth farts, but he's going to get there. <laughs> I see you, but but I know that God has a purpose for your life. I know He hasn't forgotten you. I know He hasn't left you out. What would be like one step beyond what you could ask or imagine of God just kind of working in your life? What, what could we celebrate together? How do we encourage each other? So in, my point is, around, you know, forgive us for, at times, lacking courage, and just kind of... I think in the name of grace, you never want to ever burden anyone. But the grace of God, when it's fully at work, kind of also charges us and empowers empowers us towards godliness. It doesn't just leave us... Comfortable or uncomfortable, but not wanting to be more uncomfortable by doing something, right? So forgive us for that. Uh, We've been working on it in the background for about two years, having conversations with leaders uh, uh, for about two years. Um, But this Sunday is an opportunity to say, hey, we got this wrong. Please forgive us. Um, Let's get it right and encourage each other.